This is Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Just ahead on today's show is a sneak peek at the 33rd Annual New Orleans Film Festival, which kicks off this week with in-person screenings and a globally accessible virtual cinema. And broadcast journalist Dave McNamara, known for exploring the state's unique places and cultures in his televised Heart of Louisiana features, will take us on a photographic journey that transports us to another galaxy. But first... Once a year, an advocacy group organizes a bike ride from New Orleans toward Angola Prison to highlight the 170-mile journey that families take to visit loved ones incarcerated there. Angola is the largest maximum security prison in the country. The Gulf States newsroom's Bobby Jean Missick pedaled along, talking to cyclists and learning more about the ride and who it supports. It's around 7 a.m. on a Saturday. Bikers are gathering in preparation for the NOLA to Angola ride. In some cases, trading four wheels for two. They're gathered in front of a house, home of the first 72 plus, a nonprofit named for the most critical hours for someone released from incarceration. And today, volunteers have taken over the front lawn to check us in. Yeah, hey, Bobby. Elise Fuchs has got me covered. Um, we also have a waiver that we're going to ask you to fill out. After check-in, there's a press conference to learn more about this ride. The money that everyone has raised, which at this point is more than $40,000. Even with a car, the journey to Angola is long and costly. In previous years, NOLA to Angola riders raised funds for a program that provides free bus rides to the prison. But this year, the funds are going to help Pastor Tyrone Smith and his team at First 72 fight recidivism. Nobody come out of prison don't want to go back to prison. But when you can't get some of the wraparound services like um, clothing, um, ID, a place to stay, your chances of going back to prison are great. So this money would help a lot of guys um, get that first month rent and that deposit to help them to get them a place to stay. Everyone's excited to get going. Okay, we're rolling out. Before the pandemic, bikers rode all the way to the prison. It took three days and they camped along the way. But for the first group ride in two years, organizers thought best to cap the distance at 55 miles. And we're on the levee. Although we're all biking together here, you can be alone with your thoughts. It's really pretty. It feels really like wide and open and safe. Last night, someone said to me, it's kind of the exact opposite for the folks that we're riding for today. At the first stop, about 15 miles in, rider Carly Cruley says that she'd recently recovered from a bike accident but she still wanted to ride in honor of the formerly incarcerated people in her family. And I was being nervous I'd be left behind or forgotten, but connecting that to how people who are in prison probably feel because of the way our society works. It's sad. I started crying, that I'm is for sorry. sure. No, it's okay, it was yeah. nice. The, the wind on my face wiped them away, but yeah, I think it was really emotional for me. Cruley and some other riders hop into a van and head back to New Orleans. Then the rest of us are off to lunch, another 15 miles away. Okay, so now we're starting to bike through the 
industrial corridor. You know, you just see clouds of chemical smoke billowing into the beautiful blue sky. We stop at a field a little more than halfway through our journey. Everett Offray, who has been out of Angola for 10 months, talks to writers about his experience. Because I spent 27 and a half years in hell. But inside of prison, I learned some things. And I was blessed to be able to help guys inside of prison to get out of prison. He thanks writers for thinking of the people behind bars. We appreciate it. Because now we're able to tell the brothers that, man, look, yeah, they got people that's fighting for you because it's, it's, it's visible. People understand that incarceration is not the, that's not the solution. After lunch, it's another 25 miles to the last stop. And for that last 10 of it, there are no bike lanes. Cars are whizzing by and we're on the shoulder. It's wide, but scattered with gravel and other debris. Ending the last stop, looking forward to it. My backpack is getting really, really heavy. Uh, yeah, almost at 55 miles. At the last stop in St. James Parish, there's a peace among the group. Some people jump into a swamp to cool off. Others are resting their legs, and it's time to go. The last few riders pull in, and Elise Fuchs rounds us up and tells us to get on the bus that's waiting for us. All right. But unlike so many of the incarcerated people that the bikers rode for, we're headed home. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Bobby Jean Mizick. The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration among public media stations in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. The New Orleans Film Society is rolling out the red carpet as it opens its 33rd annual Oscar-qualifying New Orleans Film Festival. The festival returns with in-person screenings in venues across the Crescent City alongside a globally accessible virtual cinema. New Orleans Film Society Executive Director Sarah Escalante joins us with details. Sarah, welcome to Louisiana Considered. Hi, Diane. Thank you for having me. And I should say welcome to New Orleans as you are the brand new executive director of the film festival. Yes, that's true. I started in July, July 5th. So kind of rounding out <laughs> three months and I'm really excited to be jumping right into the festival. Yeah, we're glad to have you in town. The New Orleans Film Festival is touting the screening of more than 145 films this year. I can't imagine the work that went into selecting these films. Tell us about that process and how were the films chosen? So we have a, a really great programming team, including some seasonal programmers that we bring on to help. We are a submission-based festival, which means we open for submissions. Um, they'll be happening at the end of this year for next year. And then we kind of do a big call out to filmmakers across the country, across the world. Um, we do try to focus a lot on the South and local filmmakers. And so then we have some months where we get submissions brought in and then we have a good programming team kind of divvy things up and watch everything and go through different levels of feedback and input and conversations. It's a long process and lots of conversation and then narrowing down to the films that we are able to bring in and showcase in New Orleans. We are a, as you noted, an Oscar qualifying festival for three short categories. 
so fiction, documentary, and animation. So we do give a lot of space for short films, which is great. We have 20 programs of shorts that are playing throughout the festival, and a lot of those are also available virtually to watch for those who aren't able to join us. I think that's a really great opportunity and chance to kind of get a pulse of what a lot of filmmakers are kind of working on and trying to express through their work right now. Now, what exactly does it mean when the festival is billed as an Oscar-qualifying film festival? So there's a select number of festivals where short films have a chance to play in the festival and then be considered for an award from the festival. So, you know, best short narrative, best documentary short. And then the ones that are selected are then eligible to be entered into the list of films that then the Academy looks at too when they are selecting their finalist list. You're screening more than 145 films this year. That's down from what? How many submissions did you receive? We had a little over 3,600 submissions this year. Wow. Now, where are the films from and how diverse are the offerings? We had submissions from over 103 countries. We have 24 world premieres and seven U.S. premieres. 50% of the 138 films that we selected through that submission process are from the American South, and 22% of that lineup were Louisiana-made. And how many were from female filmmakers? From women and gender nonconforming directors, that accounts for 57% of our lineup. And for directors of color, make up about 56%. Now, the red carpet comes out on opening night. Tell me, (laughs) what is on tap? So opening the festival Thursday, November 3rd, is The Inspection from director Elegance Bratton. He actually has filmed at the festival a number of times in the past, so it's really, really nice to have him back with his first feature debut. It's a really thoughtful, touching film about his true life experience as a young gay Black man who decides to join the Marines and kind of do whatever it takes to succeed in a system that he felt cast aside from. Most of my friends are dead or in jail. If I die in this uniform, I'm a hero. Somebody. He's going to be in attendance along with producers Effie Brown and Chester Algernall Gordon at Second Line Stages. And we're partnering with their grand opening of their four new sound stages. So on Friday, we are actually doing a episodic premiere of a new five-part series called Algiers America. And it follows the New Orleans high school football coach, Bryce Brown, and the Edna Carr Cougars. So that's going to be at Second Line, Friday, November 4th at 7. Sunday, November 6th at 7.30 p.m. at the Britannia, we'll be playing Causeway, which is a film that was shot in New Orleans. This follows Jennifer Lawrence. She is a soldier struggling to adjust to her life after returning home from the war to New Orleans. We also have a documentary called Hollow Tree, which will be playing on Saturday, November 5th and Monday, November 7th. That follows three teenagers coming of age in Louisiana. So that's also another one. The director, Kara Akerman, will be in attendance for that as well. We also will be doing a screening of the Louis Armstrong's Blacks and Blue, which is a new documentary that's coming out very soon on Apple TV. That will be Friday, November 4th at 7.15 p.m., and the director will be in attendance for that. Our closing night film will be at the Jazz Market 
um, with a great documentary music film about four musicians from New Orleans. And we'll have some special performances after the film. So that will be really exciting. It's called Music Pictures New Orleans. And it provides four legacy portraits of New Orleans music figures, Irma Thomas, Little Freddie King, Ellis Marsalis, and Benny Jones Sr. of the Treme Brass Band, all of them in their 80s. A great film, I think, to close the festival. New Orleans Film Society Executive Director Sarah Escalante, thanks so much. Thank you. The 33rd Annual New Orleans Film Festival runs November 3rd through 8th for in-person screenings in independent theaters in the metro area and November 3rd through 13th for virtual global streaming. More info is online at neworleansfilmfestival.org. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Award-winning New Orleans veteran broadcast journalist Dave McNamara's Heart of Louisiana Features explores the Bayou State's unique places, cultures, people, and history. His work airs on TV stations across the state. What viewers may not know about McNamara is his passion for photography. In fact, it came as a surprise to him. McNamara's photographic skills are being celebrated as WYES-TV presents Light and Life, the photographic journey of Dave McNamara, a photo exhibit and video presentation hosted by journalist Angela Hill. It is my pleasure to welcome Dave McNamara to Louisiana Considered. Hey, Dave. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invite. And congratulations on your work. Your career spans more than 40 years on TV and radio as a general assignment, breaking news, and investigative reporter. And for more than a decade now, you have produced heartwarming features off the beaten path, journeying across Louisiana. Have you visited and discovered something special in all 64 parishes at this point? Well, I am up to number 63. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting close, man. Your next question is probably, where is that? It's well, Red River Parish. Red River Parish, Shreveport. It's, it's uh, probably about uh, 50, 60 miles south of Shreveport, right along I-49. I just have to get back up to that part of the state to complete all of the chapters. Wow. Dave, what attracted you to the backwoods of Louisiana? You know, Diane, it's something, and, you know, you did TV news, and there are the hard news kinds of things that we cover every day. And just going way, way back, probably 20 years or so, I would gravitate toward a feature story if I ran across something that I thought was particularly interesting, a human interest type story. I always enjoy doing that, and it it got me off the hook for covering city council if it was on Thursday, you know? (laughs) Well, there you have it. (laughs) Well, tell us a story about some of your favorite discoveries as you moved about the state. Oh, my goodness. There are just so many. I guess one of the things that surprised me almost from the start was that I would go to places. Like there is an accordion maker who uh, has a shop, a music store just outside of Eunice in the Lawtel area. 
Mark Savoy and his sons are great Cajun musicians and at least Grammy nominated, if not Grammy winning already. His whole family is musical. And probably, I think it's since 1964, he's done a Saturday morning jam session in his music store. He says, you know, you bring a plate of Boonan and put on a pot of coffee and people show up and play. And it was just wonderful. And I guess what fascinates me about some of these Cajun jam sessions is that you have these old artists, these guys who are in their 70s and 80s playing the fiddle or the accordion. And they're sitting next to, it could be a teenager or some person in their 20s or 30s, and they're watching how they play. They're learning the songs, kind of the way that music has been passed down through generation to generation. But what really surprised me was that most of the people who were at this music store in Eunice, Louisiana, were not from St. Landry Parish or Acadia Parish. They were from Brussels, Belgium. They were from London. They were from California. They were from all over the country and all over the world. And somehow they have found these little gems that we have here in Louisiana. And I'm fascinated by these places. And I just want to say, hey, check this out. Now, in Acadiana, I believe that's where you made a personal discovery. When did you know you had a knack for photography? So I was actually doing a story in a crawfish pond near Rain, Louisiana, which is the frog capital of the world, in case you didn't know that. I went out with this young, engaged couple on a Friday night, and you've probably seen those little crawfish boats as you drive through that area on the interstate. It's these little shallow, flat-bottom boats with wheels on them, and they crawl through the little flooded crawfish ponds, and that's where they catch frogs. And as we were picking up afterwards, they they left, and and I'm packing up my camera gear, and I looked up, and the moon, the little crescent moon, was just about to drop below the horizon, so the sky was pretty dark out there. And I saw stars, and uh, I had a wide-angle lens in my camera bag, and I put it on the camera and started experimenting with, okay, here's five seconds. Man, not, not enough starlight. Here's 10 seconds. And uh, those were the first few night sky star pictures that I took. And then immediately after that, I I went and did a workshop out west in in Zion National Park, learning how to do night sky photography and the Milky Way. I guess that was back in 2017. And since then, every chance I get where there's a clear night with no moon and get away from the city and all the light pollution, I'll try to take some night sky photographs. The challenge is, you know, the the Milky Way kind of always looks like the Milky Way. What makes it interesting is is when you put something else in the frame of that picture, Um, whether it's an old barn or a tree or its reflection in a, you know, the still water of some little pond or lake somewhere. That's where it gets interesting, and I was up at uh, up in northeast Louisiana, Poverty Point, which is now a World Heritage Site. It's uh, it's an amazing complex of native people mounds that were built like 3,500 years ago. The tallest mound is about 70 feet high, and so I got permission to go in after dark and just me and the the critters back there, and uh, was able to to photograph the Milky Way as it rose above this ancient mound and. After the Milky Way got up a little bit, the planet Jupiter, which looks like a bright star, pops up right over the center of this mound. And, you know, I'm just imagining the the, the people who, who built this mound, 
you know, a basket full of dirt at a time, you know, 3,500 years ago. They're seeing this same night sky, these same stars. And, you know, we, we hear about these these old places that were built, Stonehenge and some of the mountain clusters in Louisiana, and they're aligned a certain way. And, gee, how did they think about the solstice or how did they think to line it up with the North Star or whatever? But when you see this dark sky and you see how brilliant the stars are, you, you start to realize how much a part of their life that sky is. And they would watch the seasons change. They would watch the stars rotate throughout the night. They would see that there's that one star, the North Star, that doesn't move. Everything else slowly rotates around it. So they were much more in tune with the sky that we Quite honestly, most of us never have a chance to really look at it. We have too many streetlights around. Do you venture outside of Louisiana for your photos? I do, and, and, and quite honestly, I, I love to do it in Louisiana. Uh, the night sky photography is a little more challenging for a few reasons. Uh, there's a lot of humidity in the air, and that humidity is actually a little minuscule droplets of water and, and, and that moisture reflects light. So you don't get that crystal clear sky. You may have noticed sometimes when a cold front comes through and you walk outside and there's no moon, it's like, oh my goodness, the sky is just so clear and bright tonight. So I've gone out west a lot for that, where you have these long horizons, like in Zion and Yellowstone and the Tetons and, and Death Valley and, and places like that where you don't have light pollution. You have pretty much clear skies many, many, many nights. And then you have to do it when the moon is not up because the moon is just so incredibly bright. It really kind of blocks out the starlight. But I've also found some places in Louisiana. Kasachi National Forest, which is about 40 miles north of Alexandria. You're up on the hillside, so you're looking out over the forest in the right direction for seeing the Milky Way when it's a dark night. And I've been able to take some photographs there. Gone down to uh, Cameron Parish out in the uh, Rockefeller Wildlife Refuge. So tell us about the event. What will we experience? You know, it's some of the sunset pictures I've taken, some early morning sunrise, daybreak type shots, as well as a lot of the overnight star pictures and uh, Milky Way. Most of it's printed on uh, acrylic, which I think looks really nice for these kinds of landscape pictures. There'll be a display of these things. I, I think there'll be some some libations and some uh, eats involved. So you can see the images. We talk about the images, and that'll be part of the program there as well. Award-winning New Orleans veteran broadcast journalist, Dave McNamara. This has been fun. It's been fun for me, too, and I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. WYES presents Light and Life, the photographic journey of Dave McNamara. November 10th at 6 p.m. at WYES-TV, 916 Navarre Avenue. More info is online at wyes.org slash events. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. 
Thanks to our guest, New Orleans Film Society Executive Director Sarah Escalante, broadcast journalist and photographer Dave McNamara, and the Gulf States Newsroom's Bobby Jean Missick. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman, Aubrey Procell, and Thomas Walsh. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.